listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. It's day two of No Real Sports. We'll talk about that and some of the other things you can do right here on ESPN New York Tonight. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Yes, it's a Friday edition of ESPN New York tonight. It's been a while since we talked to you on the Friday, along with Giselle and JP. We're here until midnight. Want to get your thoughts at one eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Thank you, Carlin entertaining three hours leading into us. And we're going to piggyback on that because I want to hear from you. I heard Michael K today talk about a very special moment that he got an autographed bat from his idol, Bobby Mercer. So I want to find out from you, what has been your most special athlete, famous athlete interaction, whether it was a stare, whether it was shaking your hand, whether it was an autograph, whether it was somebody in an autograph situation where you stepped up to the table and they came out and took a picture. I want to hear what that was like for you. At 1-800-919-3776, at the bottom of the hour, we will hear from Rich Samini. We'll talk a little football. Yes, that has not been canceled or postponed yet. So we'll see what the Jets are going to do and how this may affect what the schedule normally is for football as far as OTAs and the draft and, you know, rookie minicamp and all the other stuff. Plus, we'll pick his brain to see what the Jets are thinking about A, in free agency, and B, in the draft. So that'll be at the bottom of the hour here on 98.7 ESPN. I got to tell you, today was wild. I found myself watching, okay, wait a minute, Christmas movies. Don't laugh at me and don't judge. I wasn't in the mood to watch the best Met game in history or the best Yankee game in history. I wasn't in the mood to watch auto auction. I wasn't in the mood to watch a a number of different old soccer matches. I, I wanted to watch something that, that took me away from the coronavirus, because by watching old sports, that reminds me that we're in this situation because of the coronavirus, right? So that's why we're in this situation. But for me, it it just seemed to be, I needed to get away. And so I was watching Christmas movies today. Yeah, Christmas movies, because that took me to a happier time. That took me to a time when everything is good. Everybody's happy. It's Christmas, Right. Everybody's, everybody's looking for a good plan, a, a, a good, a good gift. Everybody's talking about, oh, family's coming around us and we'll be good. So it, it, it made me feel so much better as I was watching Christmas movies. What were you doing today? 1-800-919-3776. Also, you can weigh in on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. We'll get your thoughts and we'll share them with you as well. Of course, as I mentioned, Rich Samini at 1130, at 1030, and we'll give you some of the top stories of the day, which one is very, very interesting and, and I love it. And this might, this might, now I'm not going to guarantee, but this might change my mind slightly towards how I feel about the NCAA. It just might. It it, 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 it might. I'm, I'm going to wait and see 
how they decide to work this. All right. I want to see how they decide to work it because they've made the right step for some, but they didn't do it for others yet. So I'm really waiting to see how it turns out. But right now I want to hear from you. Tell me your best famous athlete interaction, whether it was a picture, whether it was an autograph, what was it that made you say, ah, this is now my favorite athlete. 1-800-919-3776. Ryan in Jersey. Start us off on ESPN New York tonight. All right. So uh, it's a little bit of a long one, but I met Chad Ochocinco. Um I'm flying out there with my father for the uh, Jets-Bengals uh, playoff game. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember how many seasons ago that was. Uh, but we're flying out there. My father and I are both Bengals fans from New Jersey. And uh, we're on the plane, and we happen to have two extra tickets because my cousin bailed. So um, the stewardess says that she's a Bengals fan and the pilot's a Jets fan. We invite them to the game. The pilot doesn't come. The stewardess does. The entire way, she's talking about how her cousin's on the team, her cousin's on the team, you know, and she's telling us it's Chad. And we're like, yeah, sure, sure he is, right? Because you, you wouldn't believe a story like that. And she's like, right, oh, no, I'll right. get him on the phone. She tries to call him. He doesn't pick up. Oh, he must have changed his phone number. We get to the stadium. We get in. She's like, oh, I'm going to go see him by the tunnel. She disappears for like 15 minutes, comes back. He'll call us after the game. The entire time we think she's putting us on, right? We get back to the hotel. She comes down to our hotel room later and knocks on the door and is like, hey, I know where he is. We got to go see him, right? Turns out it's his birthday. He's out at his favorite freaking restaurant with his entourage. We get there and we're expecting, you know, we're going to be a bunch of people, you know, waving them out from across the restaurant, whatever. He's standing at the mm-hmm. host stand, sees her, yells, auntie. And my father and I look at each other like, holy crap. We end up sitting down with them and his whole entourage and having dinner. He's, you know, he's, he's great. He pays for the whole thing. We're laughing. Mm-hmm. We're talking. It was, it was easily my favorite interaction with the sports star. Wow. Just, a little bit of kindness got paid forward, I guess, but it was great. And you know what, Ryan? Thanks for the phone call and, and the great story. You know what? It's so funny. We always hear such negative things about a number of professional athletes, right? We hear all the problems. We hear all oh, they're overpaid. They don't want to do autographs. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that, all this stuff. But there are some guys who are really very personable. And I think as we... Uh, look at them because we look at athletes differently, right? We look at them as, well, they are who they are and we are who we are, but we need them for our fantasy leagues and teams to be successful. We need them to perform for our teams because there are guys, even though we, 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 we despise them when they mess up, they're still our guys. And so sometimes, honestly, we don't look at them as human beings with families and issues. We think this guy's making what? Chris Paul is going to make over 40 million next year. What possible problems could he have? Right. And so we look at them and we tend to judge them. And very often we are pleasantly surprised at how nice they are, how they they do such a nice job interacting. Of course, there are some who don't do a good job. Got it. But for the most part, you'll find that a lot of guys are pretty, pretty good. Sean's in Tom's river. Hey, Sean, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking All my right, call. Sean. You got it, partner. What's up? 
Yeah, so about uh, three weeks ago, I was down in uh, Sarasota, Florida for spring training. I was at the Orioles facility. It was my son's first game. And, uh, you know, the game ended. They were playing the Red Sox. And we're out by the bus waiting for the players to come out. You know, maybe he can meet some of the players and stuff. And I see Jason Veritek walk out, and he bypasses the bus and walks into the parking lot where all the fans are parked. And I was so, like, confused that he wasn't getting on the bus. So we followed him out there because we were parked out there, and he, and he just had his truck out there by himself, parked out by all the fans. And, uh, you know, I went up. I introduced myself to me and my son. It was his first game. I had a ball. He signed it for him, nice as could be. Gave my son a little high five, and it was just, you know, a real pleasant uh, experience with him. I got the ball in a case in my basement now. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for the story. It's nice. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. It's ESPN New York Tonight on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Getting your thoughts on your favorite, most memorable athlete interaction. It could be whatever. It could be a smile. It could be a wave. It could be somebody giving you popcorn <laughs> or somebody taking popcorn from you <laughs> at the ballpark. What is it? 1-800-919-3776. Matt's in the car. Hey, Matt, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry. Thanks for taking my call. Love your show. How are Thank you, you Matt. Um, I'm 43, been a Yankee fan my whole life. I, my first memories of the stadium were early 80s and, uh, I fell in love with Dave Winfield early on. Maybe it was the year that he was fighting with Manningly for the batting title, and I just decided mm. to go against the grain. But Winfield became my guy. And a few years after that batting title race, it was probably about 87, I'm out in uh, right field with my father during batting practice. You know, like they, they used to let you in real early to watch the Yankees have their batting practice. And uh, Winfield's out there shagging, flies out and right. And I'm along the first base side in, in foul territory. And, and I think it was Ron Hassey. He ropes like a shot that skips off like seats and even hit my dad's shoulder, if I recall correctly. And it kind of all popped down like right in front of us and rolled right, like right in front of us, maybe five, seven feet. And Winfield like jogs over a little bit, picks up the ball and underhand tosses it. He's looking right at me and he flips it right to me. And this guy just, like, jets out and, like, knocks the ball away from me and kind of trickles back onto the field. He didn't get it. My dad was trying to get it. But, you know, no one got it. And it sat there for the whole batting practice. And, you know, oh, there it is. I can't reach it. And I'm done for. And it was a great time. But at the end of batting practice, Winfield, he just starts jogging over right to the wall. He bends down, he picks the ball up, you know, big six-foot, six-foot guy, and, yeah. you know, just all, all awesome to see. And he looks at the guy next to me, and he says, this is for the kid. And he puts it right in my hand. I'm 43 now. This is about 30-something years ago. Vivid memory. It, it just, you know, been my, my favorite athlete forever because of that. And I could tell that story till my grave because it, it was one of those things as a child you just will never forget. And you know what's funny about that story, Matt? You're still smiling. I hear you smiling car, right now about it. In the car with my son right next to me. I'm telling the story, and it's like, wow, he did that. Athletes athletes don't, you know, they're great, you know, but generationally it's a little different. I don't yeah. I don't know if that happens again, you know? Yeah, you might be right, Matt. Hopefully. But you know what? And thanks for the phone call and the memory. You know what? There's still some guys in this generation that do the same thing. There's still some really good people out there, some really good athletes who understand, as we say, who get it. 
Fran's in Massapequa. Hey, Fran, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Larry? Hey, what's up, Larry? How you doing, buddy? What's up, partner? Pleasure. I always listen to you before uh, Freddie and Fitz, man. You're a great beginning. You know, you're a great, uh, whatever you call introduction to those guys. Thank you, listen, sir. I got a great story. I'm 21 years old, but I'm 55 now. I'm 21 years old. And I, my father and my uncle, my uncle knows a scout for the California Angels. My, my uncle, you know, they saw me play baseball, softball, whatever, sports. They sent me to Florida. I go down to play baseball in Florida. So I'm down there playing on an instructional team. And uh, Tampa Bay, I went to high school with Ron Heller. He's a Tampa Bay uh, uh, offensive lineman, and he played for the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the nicest guys in our community. Uh-huh. Um, I, I go to the game, Tampa Bay game, pay, get in. Now, he's, I, I, I wanted to go near the field to try to get his attention. So I, I, I go down. Now, around Tampa Bay Stadium, when you're near, near the field, there's like a four-foot-high cement fence, three-foot-high, whatever it is you can't get on the field. So I go down to the front row, and these guys are like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And I'm like, no, I know my friend. He plays for the Tampa. They thought I was lying. The security guard comes over. He goes, all right, buddy, come on, come on. You got to go. I go, no, I know Ron Heller. He's right there. So I'm screaming. The guy goes, all right. I'm screaming out his name. He's on the bench. Ron, Ron Heller, Ron. And he wouldn't turn around. So I said, what am I going to do? The guy goes, come on, let's go. I scream out the high school we went to. I scream out Farmingdale High School. He turns around on the bench, I swear to God, comes walking over, and he says hello to me. All the people in the front row, the security guard, they, they thought I was lying. And uh-huh. it was one of the greatest things that ever happened. It was a simple little thing. I knew the guy, and he came over and said hello, gave me a little hug, how you doing, you know. And it was just so fantastic. I turned around after he had to go back to the, you know, the game, and I looked at everybody like, hi, you thought I was full of crap, huh? <laughs> and it was just one of those things. This guy, he had gotten voted dirtiest player in the NFL one year and when I tell you in high school he was one of the nicest guys you ever met he was he's a super guy there wasn't one person that didn't like him Ron Heller just a great story and you know they thought I was lying the security guards grabbed me come on I didn't know what to say so I screamed out yeah. our high school and he must have heard it because you know everybody probably screams their names you know and sure, he's just exactly. so good he turned around walked over to have an NFL player on the field come over to you and say hello yeah. when everybody thinks you're lying it was just—it was one of those things, you know. It was just great, and I just thought that I heard you, and I thought I should call up and tell you the story. Larry, thank you so much for listening to me. No problem, Fran. Thanks for sharing that story with us. That's a great story. That—that's a really great story. And understand, we're talking the National Football League, right? It's not, and it's not—you know—for him to walk over with the high fence <laughs> where the stands begin. Oh man, that—that's a great memory. It's a great memory. By the way, our Marley Rivera reports that the Mets have announced that their director of player relations and community outreach, Donovan Mitchell Sr., was tested yesterday for the coronavirus and the result received tonight was negative. There had been some concern because his son, Donovan Mitchell Jr., who plays for the Utah Jazz, was tested positive for the coronavirus along with, uh, you know, along with the center over there. So, uh, you know, good news there that his dad is okay. Let's get back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Rick is in the Garden State. Hey, Rick, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Larry, how you doing? Doing great, Rick. Uh, yeah, so uh, my father had season tickets for the Giants ever since the Polo Grounds. And uh, when I was about seven years old, my mom passed away. And uh, mm. by by fault there, I became the, uh, the regular to go to the games with him. So the next year, uh, I was eight years old. I think it was 85. It was the Giants and uh, Oilers. 
So back then, the uh, the state troopers were the security on the field there. So after the game, my dad yells down to his buddy, who was a high-ranking uh, trooper at the time, and uh, waves us down. So next thing you know, I'm eight years old. I'm running across the field, giant stadium. Pretty cool as it is. Next thing you know, he's, you know, come on, let's go in the locker room. So I'm in there. You know, I remember the chaos. I remember Rob Carpenter, you know, being the size of a house, sitting there in a towel. And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, I got a, uh, I got a plastic souvenir ball. And uh, we go out to the aisle where both teams come out to the bus. So player after player is coming out. And uh, one of them says, you know, hey, you know, use a ballpoint pen. The, the autographs will last longer. So sure as heck, you know, we're getting autographs from everybody. And uh, Earl Campbell comes out. You know, his thighs are bigger than my torso. And, uh, <laughs> you know, finally LT and Harry Carson. And they come out. Wow. You know, I see them, you know, monsters. And uh, ever since then, LT. But, uh Funny thing is, I had that ball signed by all of them, you know, 85. And uh, two years later, you know, my dad will never let me live this down. My uh, babysitter at the time, we go outside and start throwing that ball around in the muddy rain. Ruined it. Ballpoint oh, 10 or no, not. Oh, no. Yeah, but I still remember all of it to this day, man. So, oh. Giants die hard forever. All right, Rick. Thanks for the memory. Man, no that's a tough one to lose the ball. But he's got the memory. And listen. Earl Campbell, uh, you know, Dan Pastorini, uh, quarterback in that team back in the day, Billy White, Suze Johnson. You got a number of very entertaining Oilers on that squad, but Earl Campbell, you know, in tough, in tough physical shape these days from what I understand, but he was a monster running the football. I mean, he, that was the day back in those days, you had your feature running back. And your feature running back was the guy. He told it the football. He was, as Rex Ryan used to say, he was the bell cow <laughs> for for that Houston Oilers team. He ran it and he ran it and he ran it and he ran it some more. And then to talk about that giant team, I mean, come on, that, that you can't find. Ironically, you can't find two nicer guys than Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson. Two nice. Very nice guys who uh, play pretty good football, right? Richie's in Maybrook. Hey, Richie, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Larry, how are you? Great, Richie. What's up, my friend? Okay, my story goes back to 1972. I'm, I'm 60 years old. Okay. So me and a friend of mine, we go over to Shea Stadium. That was the year that the Yankees played there because uh, the stadium was getting renovated. So after the game, you know, we go over to the players' parking lot. The Yankees, they're boarding the buses. So through the window of the bus, I could see Bobby Mercer. So I'm like, hey, Bobby, Bobby. So he looks my way. I'm like 12 years old. So he looks my way, and he sticks his tongue out at me. But he didn't do it in a malicious way. And let me tell you, that made my day. And to this day, I tell that story. He was by far my favorite baseball player at that time was Bobby Mercer. And it kind of broke my heart when he passed. Yeah, absolutely. But now, another guy who has an impact on me now as an adult, if I was to see him, would be Joe Namath. Because, again, I grew up with that guy. And, oh, my God, if I was to see him, I would act like a little kid. But anyway, <laughs> that's my story. <laughs> All right, Richie. Listen, thanks, thanks for the call, man. You too. Thanks for checking in with that story. Listen, Joe Namath has that effect on people. I'm telling you, he does. He really does. Even now, he has that effect on folks. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Hour number two. 
of ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, what were you watching? Snickering over there. 1-800-919-3776. Getting your thoughts on your best or most memorable athlete interaction, whether it was an autograph, a smile, uh, they recognized you, and and or as one caller said, they he had a Ron Heller walked over to him in the stands. What what was it? I want to hear from you. We've had some great ones tonight. I want to get yours in. But first, we have to find out what's going on with the. Here is the top news stories of the day with Larry Hardesty. All right, let's talk a little baseball, shall we? We know that it's going to be at least two weeks, but we're seeing that people are telling teams to disperse. Now, the Yankees will wait it out in Florida, and the players only meeting after getting information from GM Brian Cashman. The Yankee players decided to remain in Tampa and continue informal workouts during the MLB training shutdown and the delay to start the season for now. But as Jack Pass- Jeff Passan met- mentioned on Get Up this morning, we're talking April 9th. Is that realistic, Jeff? From everybody that I speak to, players executives, officials, people at the union, the answer is no. And if there is baseball on April 9th, something went really, really well across the country. But the expectation at this point among almost everybody is that we're not going to see baseball until May. Now, baseball bought itself a little bit of time by saying we're going to suspend things for two weeks and reevaluate. But as we saw yesterday, the reevaluation can happen instantaneously. And it's like Dan said, the news cycle here and the decision-making matrix is moving so quickly that the idea that we know what's going on two hours from now, let alone two weeks from now, just is not the case. It changes momentarily, right? Just like the Masters has been canceled. What? Well, postponed, not canceled. So Bob Harrick was on first take this morning. How can we reschedule it? Do we know when that can happen? As far as the Masters is concerned, that's that's in, in in conjunction with the PGA Tour, and you know they have events scheduled throughout the year. So this is not easy. Like if they decide they wanted to try to play in May, well, do, do they displace another tournament? Do they play it opposite it? Uh, same within the fall. Uh, you know the the FedEx Cup schedule ends at the end of August. But then the new schedule resumes in early September. And then we've got the Ryder Cup at the end of September. So where do you fit it in? So as far as the Masters is concerned, they're going to have to work with the tour to figure this out. As far as the, the tour's own events, they are planning, they are looking at it as if the next event on the schedule, which is Hilton had the week after the Masters, would be next up. Of course, it's quite possible that that will have to be canceled or postponed too. It's going to be, I think, a day-by-day, week-by-week thing. They've, they've got a lot to work through. The PGA Championship is the next major on the schedule in mid-May. That is that is scheduled for San Francisco where there's a lot of virus issues. There had been talk going into this week about moving it already. So now they, they've got a big decision ahead of them too. Wow, so it sounds like rescheduling the Masters is not easy. Well, Michael Collins also was on first take, and he says the golfers, uh, they're not real happy about this. It just doesn't seem real that we aren't going to be playing golf and that we aren't going to be playing the Masters as scheduled in April. Mm-hmm. Guys just are shaking their heads. One of my friends, Jason Kokrak, said he had been trying for nine straight years to qualify for the Masters, and this was the first one he finally qualified for, and now they're not playing it. 
Uh, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. It's It's been a strain on everybody, but here's the thing. You have to look at it. It's about trying to contain the virus from getting out of control. It's going to be one of those years, and we'll be talking about this. We'll be able to tell our, our kids and our grandkids about the time that sports was shut down because of the coronavirus. It's our top stories of the day here on ESPN New York tonight. Let's talk a little football. Dan Graziano on Get Up this morning wanted to find out, is the NFL league year on schedule with all the delays and possible delays from the coronavirus? As of right now, that timetable is still intact. The people in the league that I checked in with last night said no plans to delay the start of the league year, which would be Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Checking in this morning with sources on the NFLPA side, no plans to change the voting procedure as of now. Still expected that we will get a decision from the players 11.59 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night. So, again, I keep saying this because, you know, our, our show runs twice. You know, in two hours, things could change. Yeah. Uh, I, I As of right now, as of 8.30 a.m. on on Friday, Friday morning. the 13th, yes. Right. No plans to change any of that. All right, Dan. Will there be a draft? There will be a draft in that teams will select players, uh, but the question is to what extent they can have a large public gathering. As of now... <clears throat> Obviously, the reason these things are being canceled is because we don't want large public gatherings. And we're talking about six weeks from now. So the, the league has to make a decision on this pretty quickly. They have not yet, but it seems as if it's a fair expectation to think that there will have to be some adjustment to how the draft is conducted, whether you can do it with all those people. There were 600,000 people in Nashville last year at the draft. So it, it's unlikely that that would be the case. It could be a situation where... It's like they did it in the old days before it was televised, where they did it by conference call or by, you know, calling in the picks. All right. So we'll see what happens as far as the NFL draft is concerned. But for right now, it's on and you should get excited about it. I mentioned it earlier in the show. It looks as though the NCAA is thinking about giving players extra eligibility because their leagues and their seasons have been ended because of the virus. R.J. Billis should the NCAA do that? I think that would be entirely appropriate, and it's certainly within the ability of the NCAA to get it done. And and we talk all the time about athlete welfare, and this is something that the NCAA could certainly do with relative ease and I think should do. Uh, and it would be a wonder for anyone that wants to come back, come back next year and compete. Uh, what would be wrong with that? To have to have a person in school for another year, uh, who would be hurt by that? I, I think it would be a wonderful gesture and something that would uh, would certainly make everybody feel better after something that's been an extraordinarily difficult time. Absolutely, I agree with Jay on this one. Now, here's an interesting debate: Jay Billis on one side, Dickie V, Dick Vitale on the other. The topic: Should the NCAA tournament been canceled or postponed jay billis you go first i think in the abstract postponement sounds better and maybe we could reevaluate and perhaps work something out but the ncaa tournament is such a large undertaking with 14 different venues all over the country and a lot of different partners you've got people traveling from all over the country to go to these games and and you've got uh you know media partners that would have to clear programming for it so it, it would be a logistical challenge the likes that w we have never seen before in order simply to postpone it so i think it was probably inevitable that cancellation was the ultimate result and to uh, to borrow a phrase from from former florida ad uh, jeremy foley what you will do eventually you should do immediately 
All right, Dick Vitale, what do you say? Why not follow the pattern of Adam Silver, who's a brilliant, brilliant leader, to say, we'll revisit it in one month. What would have been wrong doing that? To revisit it. Maybe then, step one, have a blue ribbon panel of all the great coaches sitting, brainstorming, trying to analyze and figure out how we could possibly save this season if, if word comes down, obviously, that the disease has been under control. It was a fascinating discussion, and you've heard all throughout the day about possibly making 16 teams and trying to play five games in one day and go through the weekend and trying to get a a, a NCAA champion for this year. So a lot of things were discussed, but unfortunately, nobody could come up with the right answer. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. It's ESPN New York Tonight. On 987 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's get back to the phones. A lot of folks holding to share their very special moment interacting with a professional athlete. Let's see what Richard's got to say. He's in Manhattan. Richard, thanks for holding. You're next on ESPN like- New York tonight. Oh, Richard, we lost him. Call right back, Richard. We'll get you back on. Mark is in Newark. Hey, Mark, you're next on 987. What's up, my brethren? What's up, Mark? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, 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 you know, you know, like everybody, uh, except I don't have all that fear stuff going on. But, um, Larry, I gotta tell you, like, you know, I couldn't wait to talk to you because, you know, you and your Christmas movies and you had me feeling, you know, happy and something good to talk about sports and stuff. And then, you know, I was all prepared to tell you my story. And then those last three guys, like Dick Bartell and all of them, it, it just was like, so I'm recovering from that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to get back on happy time. Okay. So uh, rapid fire. First, 85, I went to Valley Casino. I was 22 years old. Okay. I met Joe Namath. And being a Jets fan, you already know how that made me feel. That was really cool. He was, oh, yeah. uh, he was doing a show called Sugar Babies of uh, Music. And I got to get his autograph then. Rapid fire again. I got to meet Joe Namath again. At the ESPN Sports Zone, I think it was on 44th Street at the time. and 42nd and Broadway. Yeah. And uh, I met him there again. And uh, Latrell Freewell was playing in the playoffs. I think it was against Toronto. And uh, he was there, too. And, and that was cool meeting him again. The Radisson North Street, this one was really great. Uh, Radisson Hotel, I was a room service waiter. And this really tall brother comes walking down the hall out of his room, and I was getting ready to take food to some other place, and I, I kept looking at him, right? And mm-hmm. so he got closer and closer, and, and then I was like, I was like, you're, 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 and he starts laughing. I was like, you're, you're, and I couldn't even say his name, so I just started whistling Sweet Georgia Brown. I was like, and I was like, and he was like, you're a little lark. And he was up. That was cool. Um, last one, I'm on the path train and uh, 2017, and my favorite football player that I watched play from college to pros, um, I had a feeling was sitting across from me. Like, so, you know, I'm I'm a grown ass man, Larry. I'm sitting there, I'm, and I'm looking with my head down, and then and it's this big bald guy, right, directly across from me on the path train. So you just get the world face on it, and and my right eye. He looked up, and, and I, I didn't want to catch me staring at him, right? So we get off the train, and I, I looked at him. I said, I said, you're you, aren't you? And he said, he goes, 
well, that depends on who you think I am. I was like, I know who you are. You're you. And he starts laughing. I was like, you're Ray. It was Ray Lucas. And, um, <laughs> and, and Ray, Ray, I, I mean, my first thought was, like, when I watch you on TV, especially the last game I, I really loved watching him play, uh, I was in Fort Lauderdale and the, the Jets were playing the last game of the season and it was against Seattle. And Ray was shining. He brought him back to win. And, that, and I always had that memory of how, how I wanted so bad for him to be our starting quarterback for next year. So I told him that. And then and I and I'm like, Ray, man, I said, and he's big, like, dude, you're not a line, you're not you used to be like a linebacker, right? And um so then he goes, uh I says, you know, man, I, I never liked when Parcells didn't let you play because he let uh Rick Myra play and he looks at me, we're on the escalator, he goes, He was garbage. I was like, I know. They should let he let should have let you play like that. So, you know, we talked a little bit and it was cool, but that's my story so today. Boy, Mark, I tell you, you you have four people. Some some people don't get to meet one. <laughs> it was wonderful being being a Jets and Mets fan. Oh yeah, in the same year in '85 that I met Joe Namath for the first time. Um, at that same year, they had a, a signing, a, a showing some kind of signing, and guess who? Willie Mays gave me a baseball. Wow! <laughs> that same wow. year, I, yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's the way they ended, Mark. Thanks for the phone call. Mark had five people. Willie Mays, Ray Lucas, Joe Namath twice. Oh, man. It's pretty impressive. Hi, Richard in Manhattan. Thanks for calling back. Hi, Larry. Larry, before I get to my uh, athlete story, uh, uh, the caller before, uh, a couple callers ago brought up uh, the Giants in 85 with the Houston Oilers and Earl yes. Campbell. And the Giants were connected with Houston in 81. Let's see if you remember this, Larry. Who did the Giants acquire from Houston? He was Earl Campbell's backup. And he was a running back, fullback, and he was the guy that led us to the playoffs that year. Really, he was the one that led the Giants to their resurgence. Now, Parcells wasn't the coach. It was Ray, Ray Perkins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can see him. I can't Big call his name. Yes, I know. I know. I can see him. I can't call his name. Rob Carpenter. That's it, Rob. And he mentioned him. He mentioned Rob. Oh, he did he mention him. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did. He mentioned Rob. He said oh, Rob was there. Man, said, that I, guy. I passed by Rob, and he said he was huge. I just couldn't Wow, that he guy was Rob. huge in the days of the old fullbacks, boy. Imagine That's right. F- Rob Carpenter and Earl Campbell. Oh. As your fullbacks they on punished, one team. They punished off the Oh, the when he lines. came, he was the one that led us to the playoffs. And That's the right. Giants were terrible for 15, 16 years. Yeah, and he got us into right. the playoffs that year. All right, That's right. quickly, uh, Larry, I'll give you my – I met Joe Namath. Uh, you know the March of Dimes work? And it yes. starts at Lincoln Center. Well, Joe Namath was the original before uh, before Eli Manning took over. Mm-hmm. Now, Joe didn't walk the distance because he – you know, his knees weren't good, obviously. Right. But right. I met him at uh, Lincoln Center. I think it was in 99 or 2000. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, he was so nice – but I brought up a story, and he remembered it. I said, Joe, I remembered your second year in the AFL, second year, 66. Now, Larry, I don't know if you'd remember this. In those days, the AFL uh, All-Star game was played like this. It used to be the AFL cha- – they played it after the championship game. So that year, it was the Buffalo Bills, and it was the week after. 
they play, the Buffalo Bills played a conglomeration of all the other teams' best players. In other words, it didn't matter whether you were in the East or the Western Conference. Well, anyway, name, Joe was the quarterback against Buffalo that week, that uh, All-Star game. And he had Gary Garrison, Lance Allworth, all those guys to throw to, and they killed the Buffalo Bills. And I remember uh, that Warren Wells, you remember that name? From oh, the, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, he had all Lionel Taylor, I think, was Joe Namath, and of course he had uh, Sauer and, Namath, and Maynard on the t- He had like six or seven wide receivers. They killed the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it was an all-star game, but Buffalo, was. this was the year before the uh, uh, Super Bowl. So obviously during the Super Bowl, they didn't have the all-star game after that. You know, uh, the, that, uh, the way. And I told Joe, I said, Joe, I remember they interviewed, it was the second year, they interviewed you after the game, and you were so happy, and you were talking about the wide receivers. Yeah, he threw the ball all over the field. He loved the story. He loved the story that I remember. And of course, Joe Namath, there was, there was never an athlete that looked mm-hmm. like that guy on the field. I mean, nope. people talk about a statistic. That didn't tell the story. This guy, the way he held the huddle and went to the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. the way he went back to pass, nobody. I mean, maybe with the exception of a Deion Sanders or Reggie Jackson swinging the bat or Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. Bringing the puck up, there was nobody that ever looked like an athlete like Joe. He was Namath. a natural, Richard. He had oh, swagger. Man, the way he looked, there's nothing. That people talk about Dan Marino, not even close. No, I mean, with no. all due respect to all of these guys, yeah. nobody looked like Joe Namath on the football no. field. Nobody, loved nobody, it. especially with the white shoes, Richard. Oh, everything he did. <laughs> what the what about the lima Cody came in with? Larry, one quickie. The greatest thing I ever saw was, do you remember the first Jet-Giant game at the uh, uh, Yale Bowl? He he ran that naked bootleg, and he's in the end zone, and one of the safeties in the uh, Jets went to try him. He put his arm out as if to say, don't touch me, I'm in, I'm in. Even that he did cool. Everything he did was cool. Always a pleasure, Larry. Same here. Thanks Thanks for the call and the memory. It's true. He was something. He really was. He really was. And his ability, and listen, his, uh, just how he threw the football at that time. I mean, this guy was thrown for 400 yards in games. You know, yeah, he had some picks. He was a gambler. He was a guy, listen, I'm going to throw you open. You make the play. He was, he was something. And oh, by the way, young Joe Namath moved around in the pocket pretty good before the knee injuries. He was a guy that moved around. No, I'm not saying he was, you know, I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson. Okay. But he moved around the pocket pretty well, as opposed to later years where you look at him as like, we know where he's going to be because with that knee injury, he's not going anywhere. We know. Get him. This is ESPN New York tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. It's ESPN New York tonight on 98.7 ESPN. For once in your life, that's the apropos song for the topic we've got here. Thank you, Stevie Wonder. Uh, we're getting your thoughts on your most memorable athlete interaction. What was it? Um, Kelvin, who called us a little earlier, and we had to rush him off because we were up against the clock. He uh, tweeted his story, and I, I retweeted it. So if you folks want to, um, you know, check it out, you can. Uh, talk about his uh, 
biggest highlights talking uh, when he met with uh, Tillman and O'Hara while he was in um, in Iraq in 0910. So uh, he shared that with us. We thank him for that. Uh, NYC Johnny Blaze says, I got to meet Mayumbo and RJ in a nightclub the year the year of the list, the NBA championship. They were seating at the table next to me and my friends. He says, Mayumbo has the biggest head I've ever seen. <laughs> they were really cool and nice. We hung with them all night. So we've got some pretty good memories, right? Let's see what you got to say. 1-800-919-3776. John's in North Bergen. John, thanks for holding. You're next on ESPN New York tonight. How you doing, Larry? What's going on, my friend? What's happening, John? Not much, sir. Um, thank you for taking my phone call. My Great pleasure. show, thank my you for friend. Calling. Great thank call. You. Thank you. Great show. Great show. Um, I always tell you I love listening to you. But um, all right, uh, real quick, um, I can remember the exact time, but it was like 2003, 2004. Um, I was working in the city as a plumber for Local One, and we were doing a job at MSG. We were at the garden, so. One day, they sent me down to go get a delivery for material coming in. Um, I'm in the loading dock down the ramp. Um, it was like 6.30 in the morning. And on the, I looked to my left, and walking down the ramp is John Starks. Wow. Again, I heard another guy call before John Starks, and I was listening to the show, but it was John Stark, so I'm like, oh, my God. I was, like, starstruck, and I'm like, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to play cool, but, you know, it's – what's the worst he can say, right, Larry? He's like, yeah, that's right. no, leave me alone, 6.30 in the morning. I don't want to bother him. But, <laughs> you know, as he got close, I, um, I said, hey, Mr. Stark, sorry to bother you. i big fan. You're my favorite player. Uh I appreciate what you did for the city, for New York, your intensity, your heart. Um, I wish we could have won it in 94. And at that time, there was no camera phones. Mm -hmm. So, but I stuck my hand out and he shook it. He was a real nice man. He was a gentleman and he was cool about it, Larry. So yeah. that's, that's my story, Larry. Thank you, John, for sharing that. Uh, he's that guy. I'm telling you, that's the type of guy John Starks is, you know, and yeah, as long as you didn't say, well, about the, the that, that game seven, you're okay. <laughs> as long as you didn't say that, you're good. Kenny's in Rockland. Hey, Kenny, you're next on 987 ESPN. Hey, Larry. Long time, first time. Hey, Kenny. Thanks for checking in, my friend. What's up? How much? Uh, I want to talk about meeting an athlete. Uh, about five years ago, I met Emmett Smith. Really? Yeah. Oh, what was me, that like? It was awesome. Me and my wife, we were out in Vegas celebrating my 30th birthday. And she had to use the bathroom. So we went to Caesar's Palace. There's a shopping mall there. Mm -hmm. Happened to walking around. And all of a sudden we see a sign saying, Emma Smith here to sign autographs today and tomorrow. Meanwhile, it's like midnight. We're drinking all night. So I guess so the next morning we go back and met Emma Smith on my 30th birthday. Sat wow, down, so took pictures with him. Got a sign, got a sign autograph on his on my hat. Uh huh. Now, are you a sure. Cowboys fan or no? I am. Oh, so that was special. <laughs> oh yeah, my thirtieth birthday it was awesome. 
Nice. That's good. Thanks for sharing that, Kenny. That's a good one. Meeting meeting a, your, a great football player in Emmett Smith on your birthday, and he signs autographs and takes a picture with you, that's pretty good. That is pretty, pretty good. Steve's in Long Island. Hey, Steve, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Larry. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. What's up? I know I'm on the clock, so i got to tell the story as quickly as I can, I guess. Uh, my son and uh, I were on a, uh, a trip up to Midland, Ontario. My son was about 11 years old, and uh, he played travel hockey when he was a kid. And uh, we went to a camp that uh, was going to have some of the uh, Islanders there because they were affiliated with the president of the league that uh, we went with. Anyway, we uh, checked into the hotel early in the morning. We drove up. It was uh, me, my daughter, and my, and my son. And uh, it was a very, very modest hotel. It was almost like a like a Motel 6. It wasn't anything extravagant. Uh, we're up in the middle, again, Midland, Ontario. And uh, we get in. I bring all the stuff in the room. I told the kids, you know, shower up, get dressed. because they, they were in their pajamas because we grow up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I walk out my door just to, like, you know, get an idea of where everything is, where is breakfast. And right opposite my door was uh, the door opens up. And out walks Brian Trotchett. Wow. And I grew up, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up a Rangers fan. I used to, my, my father used to get uh, tickets all the time from the company they worked for. So I, you know, I, I lived in Queens. I was a Rangers fan. And uh, then uh, when the uh, Islanders beat the Flyers in 80, um, I was at uh, a rink in Fort Washington. Mm-hmm. And we were too young to go into a bar, but we went to some bar uh, just as overtime had started. And when Nystrom scored that goal, I became an Allen fan because they had beat the arch enemy, the Flyers. But uh-huh. long story short, now the kids are in the, in the room. They're getting dressed. I'm outside. I'm talking with Trottier. And uh, he says, are you going to breakfast? I said, yeah, I'm going right now. Wait for my kids to come out. He goes, oh, you're up here with your kids. Anyway, I walk, my, my son walks out. He's wearing his practice jersey, and he had number 19 on. So, of course, I couldn't I couldn't have planned for this. I didn't know what, what he was going to get dressed in when uh, he came out of the room. And I introduced my son to Trottier, and Trottier said he was wearing number 19. And he says, ah, he goes, 19? He goes, who's your favorite player? And my son, again, he's about 11 years old, I guess. He goes, uh, Joe Sackett. Joe Sackett was number 19. Wow. Uh-huh. And the only reason why Joe Sackett was his favorite player is that my son liked his uh, play pattern. So Sackett okay. became his favorite player. But uh, Trache, uh, you know, of course he knew that my son was not even a thought when he was playing, but uh, he was so gracious about it. He got a great laugh. And, uh, you know, he gave us uh, Hall of Fame passes. Uh, that we, we actually ne- never used them because we had been to the Hall of Fame a few times. But he signed six passes for my whole family to go. And uh, it was just a nice experience. And, again, you know, when I became an Islander fan, I was probably about uh, 16, 17 years old. And uh, he meant a, it meant a lot to meet him. Uh, his reaction when my son said that 19 wasn't for him, it was just uh, precious. And if I have time, I just want to tell you one more. I was, yeah, real quick. Uh, yeah, okay. I wasn't uh, there. I was very young at the time. But my uh, parents were going to Hawaii. And uh, they were JFK. It was like, I don't know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, there was nobody in, in, the, uh, in the airport, just a handful of people. Anyway, uh, Muhammad Ali was either going to or coming from one of the fights that he had in Manila. 
And uh, my mother, I, I, the story I got is that my mother had gone to the bathroom, and she came out, and my father, who was a, a, a photographer, you know, as a hobby, he saw Muhammad Ali in, in, the, uh, in the airport. So in a loud whisper, I'll say, he yelled, he yelled at my mother, Doris, get over here, Doris, get over here. And she saw Muhammad Ali, and go over there and get a picture with him. And uh, she says, I'm not going to bother him. Uh, my, my mother is working that type. So my father had a couple words with my mother. He says, you got to go take a picture with him. And she didn't want to do it. So they start walking away, and Ali yells across the, uh, the airport. He goes, Doris, are you going to come over here and take a picture with me or not? <laughs> <laughs> and I still have that picture on my wall today. My, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, uh, passed away a number of years ago. But... Uh, oh, Ali, you know, because the airport was so quiet, I guess he heard my father's attempt at a whisper, and he took pictures and signed autographs, and uh, one of the pictures that he took with with his arm around her, uh, it still hangs in my living room today. That's great. Steve, thanks for sharing those memories with us, my friend. That's good. That's good. And and listen, I can hear Ali doing that right now. I can. <laughs> Doris, are you going to take this picture with me or not? That's great. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.